make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Come into God's presence with singing. Enter into God's courts with praise. Let us worship the Lord our God.
eternal God, creator of all that is and ever will be. You are the giver of all life. You are the source of all that is good. We remember and we rejoice that we abide in your love and rest in your grace. Therefore, we thank you and we praise you, O source of all of our blessings, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Join me now in our opening sentences. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament declares God's handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. Grace and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us who are gathered in this sanctuary as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the house of our Lord. And because it is in Christ's name that we have gathered, that means that our word of welcome is one that is extended with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in the house of God, so all are welcome here at First Church. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, if you would kindly sign the friendship pad. You should see that on the inside edge of your pew. If you would sign it and send it down the pew and back again, we will have the advantage of each other's names at the conclusion of this service. Likewise, I'd like to invite everyone to a time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is located just out this door next to the pulpit, and down a short ramp. There you will find our deacons have prepared light refreshments, but most importantly, you will find the opportunity to gather together in Christian fellowship. As always, I have a few announcements I'd like to highlight for you on the back portion of your bulletin, and basically I'm going to read you the back of the bulletin right now because they're all important this week and they're all relevant this week. So the first one I'd like to highlight is that following this service, following a brief time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood, those who would like to gather for part of our ongoing celebration of our 325th anniversary will be privileged to hear the Reverend Jesse Garner, the retired pastor of this congregation, who will present the first of two lectures on First Church, the Community, and Social Change. Those lectures will take place in the McCall Room, which is basically overhead for Old Buttonwood. Just go up the stairs and it'll be obvious where you're supposed to head. There is a light lunch prepared for those who wish to come, so please do come. We would love to, for everyone to have the opportunity to hear what Jesse has been learning about us as he has been rooting around in the Presbyterian Historical Society and in other places. The second thing I'd like to do is to welcome the Reverend Ruth Faith Santana Grace to our pulpit today. Ruth is a longtime friend of this congregation. She is the executive presbyter for our presbytery, the Presbytery of Philadelphia, 
but is presently serving a two-year term as co-moderator of our church's General Assembly. In short, she is our church's leader at the moment, so we are grateful for Ruth being with us to fill our pulpit as part of our 325th anniversary celebration. Which brings me to my final announcement in Old Buttonwood, or actually probably in the Beetle Room, I think, but either way, you'll find it when you go through there. As part of our celebration, we have prepared a new publication called Our Legacy of Faith, the Art and Architecture of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. It is available to you as, as a congregation. There is a suggested donation of $20 associated with it to defray the costs of publication for it. But I hope you will all go home and enjoy this fabulous book. Uh, everyone, there's a deep cast of people who are involved in it. It is, a, it is truly a beautiful book, and I hope you will enjoy taking a look at it. And this particular copy is a gift, the first copy for Ruth Santana Grace. With all of these things noted, let us continue our worship now with our confession of sin. The proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ rose for us, Christ reigns in power for us, Christ even prays for us. These are no doubt familiar words for anyone who frequents Christian worship, but at their heart they get to a very simple truth. We need not fear confession. Our God, who has made us, who knows us, and who loves us, stands ready to restore us to wholeness. So let us confess our sin, first in unison, and then in a time of silence as we make more candid our confessions. Let us pray. Holy God, we know that we may rest in the promises of our baptism. We know that your grace rests on us this day and every day. Never for a moment are we outside of your constant care. And yet, things happen. Life tumbles in and your promises seem distant. We retreat into fear. We worry about what we cannot change. We forget why we do what we do in the name of our risen Lord. Forgive our anxious fears. Lead us to be the people you created us to be, disciples of Jesus Christ, in whose name we offer our prayers. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our unrighteousness from us. Beloved in Christ, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
Our first reading of scripture today comes to us from the book of Exodus. The 20th chapter selected verses, you will no doubt find these are very familiar words. Listen to the word of God. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You will have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. Here ends the first reading. Our second reading of scripture comes to us from the gospel according to Matthew. There we read in the 21st chapter, beginning at the 33rd verse and continuing through the 46th. Continue to listen to the word of God to us this day from the gospel according to Matthew. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slave and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to them, him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures 
that the stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people that produces the fruit of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. May God bless to our hearing and our understanding this reading of God's holy word. Our third reading this morning comes from the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 5 and 9. Listen again to the word of God. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to God, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is the word of the Lord. of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning. Three, two, five. What a great joy it is to be with you. Grace and peace I bring you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I bring you greetings on behalf of the 225th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church that gathered last summer to consider issues 
of concern that any of you carry in your hearts before the church and the world. During that assembly, I was elected along with my sister and friend, Reverend Javon Arthur Lewis, to serve a two-year term as co-moderator of that assembly that represents some 9,000 congregations and 1.1 million members throughout our nation. It is both haunting and a privilege to serve at this time in the life of the church as we consider to rethink what it means to be the church at this time and place. On behalf of our denomination, I'd like to take a moment to present Pastor Barron with a letter from our acting state clerk and a certificate celebrating the 325th General Assembly. So let me get to I was so glad I remembered to get that certificate. <laughs> I think in all my anniversaries, this is the first one that I brought that to. You can tell where my heart is. <laughs> I'd also like to bring you greetings a little closer to home on behalf of the 114 churches and make up the Presbytery of Philadelphia representing congregations in Delaware, Philadelphia, Montgomery, and Bucks County. You are a part of that presbytery. You represent the heartbeat, the pulse of our global witness throughout this region. I am so thrilled for the invitation and the collegiality of both Pastor Barron and Pastor Laura. And I have to say, this place has a very special place in my heart because it was probably one of the first places in which I had been invited to preach nine years ago after accepting the role as the executive presbyter of this presbytery, which simply means I get the privilege of coming alongside our churches during the good times, the bad times, and just God's times. So it's good to be here with you. I could say some powerful words about some of your members who have been pivotal, who have both brought me here and walked alongside me throughout my almost 10 years of service to this presbytery. And finally, before beginning, you might notice my sultry voice. Well, I ask that you not be distracted by it. It does not hurt. I was diagnosed with uh, vocal dystonia a little while. She's beautiful. <laughs> I was diagnosed with a vocal dystonia, and it has taken away my ability to sing, and I will say you all are amazing. 
Stories were also trying to be written in the margins and footnotes of a people who would not be included in that conversation, causing the ongoing moral and ethical dilemma that would lead to yet another war, where again Philadelphia would find itself as a voice against slavery. Extraordinary beginnings with all the opportunities and challenges of that time. This was the cultural backdrop upon which this community of faith would be founded. Imagine the conversation that kept the members, their pastors, and their leaders up at night. I imagine some seriously lively debate, because I'm sure that the members and leaders were not of one mind on the many challenges that they confronted. They were called to faithfully wrestle with their identity as a people of faith in a rapidly changing world with no clear roadmap before them. A world did not, that did not look like anything they knew or had embodied before. Sound familiar? What did it mean to be a church then? And what does it mean to be church today? N.T. Wright says that the role of the church in society has always been to demonstrate through words and actions the reality of God's power and presence right in the middle of the community. It's not some head exercise. It's to be a concrete sign of hope. To be a sign of hope. I love how that sounds. It's melodic. It's beautiful. But to live it, to be it, can be really hard work especially when confronted by cultural norms and assumptions that do not line up with what we claim as followers of Jesus. Norms that often disregard what it means to care for our neighbor, that often perpetuate the values of power, status, and money as the standard for defining who we are, our identity in this world. Frankly, if I'm honest, identifying as a people of faith can be exhausting. And at times, even discouraging. This morning's text in First Peter is precisely speaking to this question of identity for a people of faith in first century Asia Minor. The author of 1 Peter is speaking to those first believers, is encouraging them to consider their identity, to consider who they are because of whose they are. As the numbers of Christians grew across the region, again, making their world a world that they had not experienced before, they are now viewed by both religious and political forces as a threat. They're a threat because they're questioning the status quo. 
their values did not align with the established values of the forces of power. And as such, they were experiencing a time of discouragement, a time of persecution. And First Peter is encouraging those believers to do as Christ had done in his life. He makes a direct connection of their identity, of their relationship to the world, with the actions and spirit of their faith. He's saying, remember who you are. And who you are, who we are, is always connected to whose we are. I love the scene in Disney's The Lion King when the elder Mufasa takes this little cub out to consider the stars in the sky as Pastor Laura reminded us in this celebration service this morning, reminding that cub that he is connected to those who have gone before him, that we are connected to those who have gone before us. That identity would be foundational to how he, that little cub, would grow up to be King Simba, how he would ultimately find his heart, that place that propels him forward and lead his people or his tribe. His father's voice breaks through in his reflection in water, saying, remember who you are at a time when Simba was lost. Remember who you are. Our identity is connected to the spirit of faith and courage that has gone on before us. We stand on their shoulders. It's a spirit that binds us across time. Not so that we can be a museum and simply remember, but that we might embody a courage and faithfulness to confront our time allowing the Holy Spirit to breathe life into us, that breath of heaven. So who are you at B25? Who are we? Well, in today's scripture, we're told that we're living stones. I used to think that this was simply a nice metaphor, but having had the opportunity to walk with our son through five years of paleontology, yeah, you learn a lot with your kids, right? I learned that stones have something to say to us. Paleontology serves as a bridge of information between the field of biology and geology. I learned how fossilized remains of rodents and dinosaurs would tell us about plant life, about migration patterns on the earth. As animals move from one place to another for food and shelter, every time our son carefully hammered through some rock, he would learn something about what had been before. He was, in essence, engaging living stones, sharing stories about the past, offering possible insights about the future. The former president of Union Theological Seminary, Dr. Brian Blunt, says that the metaphor of living stones emphasizes the dynamic nature of our faith. Because stones are not static objects, he says, 
but are shaped and molded into something new. This means that together, you and I are being shaped and molded in an effort to strengthen our witness today. The writer of 1 Peter also speaks to our identity with these familiar phrases that we love. Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation. As you know, this phrase has often been used as rationale for being exclusive, for excluding others, for standing apart as if we were better. But according to the newly minted Princeton Seminary President, Jonathan Walton, it's much more. Being a royal priesthood means serving the people as representatives of God. Think about that. Being a holy people means setting an example for the world. And being a chosen nation, it means that we are called to be a blessing to all so that they might know of the grace and love of God in Christ. We are called to serve model, and bless. First Peter's declaration and affirmation of Christian or Christ-like identity is poetically put out there, not only for those first century believers, but for us at this time today. You and I can list the many challenges and opportunities before us. Poverty, violence, war, Ukraine, and now in the last 48 hours, the reality of the Middle East, as we consider what's happening in Israel, the Israelis, and the Palestinians. Natural disasters that are eroding places where people can no longer live, care for God's creation, injustice too often related to racism, phobias that perpetuate hate of others, because of differences of sexual orientation, faith, gender, and more. A social media that challenges our understanding of free speech as it often intersects with hate mongering, perpetuating a cultural climate that seems to feed on the polarization of one another, causing deep distrust and division. Instead of bringing us together, I dare say, even in our churches. And a pandemic from which we are just emerging that made us realize we are indeed mortal and can't control it all. And then there are the concerns that are being embodied quietly right here in these pews. Those concerns we carry in our individual hearts broken relationships, health concerns, losses, employment, hunger, and the list goes on. But the opportunities today are equally present. Consider all the medical and scientific progress that is doing amazing things to heal and prevent diseases. Consider all the two, the new technological advances, right? Even artificial intelligence, which brings its own challenges. 
but that allows us to understand things in extraordinarily new ways while requiring our attention to how they intersect with our values and our ethical responsibilities. And I would say consider also that while there is a growing disassociation or indifference with organized religion, there is also a clear desire in the hearts of many in this country for authentic and deep spirituality. People are not interested in the organization. They're interested in how the organism is living in the world, responding to hunger and poverty. Does that not sound like the opportunity for the Church of Jesus Christ today? This is our context, my siblings, with its challenges and possibilities. This is the time that we've been given. We won't get another time. And these are some of the spaces we're called to engage as we seek to strengthen our witness inside the walls of this sacred, beautiful space so that we might engage the realities outside this space. I want to say I am grateful for how you as a church family continue to lean into this journey as you continue to be a beacon of faith and hope in Center City, while others abandoned the city, you resisted the urban escape. You continue to find ways to be relevant and faithful. I love about this morning's text, Eddie. It speaks to the basic why of who we are. We are to be lights in a world not cliche. We are to reflect light in a world threatened by shadows and darkness, reflecting the love and resurrection possibilities of that light to others. So let me end quickly by sharing a story about light that deeply impacted me about 25 years ago. It's a story of who was then a young boy by the name of Alexandros Papaderos. He was a young boy when the Nazis first sent paratroopers to his beloved home in the island of Crete. To the Nazis' surprise, when the paratroopers landed, they were met by a bold group of Greek peasants wielding kitchen knives and rakes. And when the Nazis returned, because they knew they returned, they gathered the population from the villages and shot them for attacking Hitler's troops. As you can imagine, the islanders vowed eternal hate for the Germans. It was against that cultural reality that Alexandros grew up. And when he was a boy, he was poor, and after the war, he remembers walking over the war rubble in his land and sees a fragment of the mirror on a site where a German motorcycle had crashed. He tried putting the mirror together, but couldn't, so he kept the biggest piece. And he used a stone to make the edges smooth and round to about the size of a quarter. 
and throughout his growing up years, that mirror would become his favorite toy. When he was bored, what he would do? He would reflect light into dark places where the sun would never shine. Poles, closets, crevasses. And as he grew older, he realized something, that the game was not really a game for him. The, the mirror became an actual metaphor for his life. He understood that although he was not the light, that although he was not the source of the light, he could, however, bring the light to dark places. Think about that. He says, I am a fragment of the mirror whose whole design and shape I do not know. Nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect light and hope into the dark places of this world. And by doing so, I may change some things in some people, and perhaps others may see and do likewise. This is the meaning of my life. I would dare say in closing that this is the meaning of each of our lives as those who claim to follow the resurrected Jesus. I would say that as we prepare to baptize baby Isla, that that is part of the promise we make here this morning, to be reflectors of light in her life so that she might experience that hope as she grows up. So as you embark on your next 325 years, may you do so claiming who you are, living stones, ensuring that your descendants, the spiritual paleontologists of tomorrow, will speak of your commitment of making right a broken world because you have served, you have modeled, and you have blessed the world by your witness. May you do so as lights that defy the darkness that threatens mindful that that light is far more powerful than these white lights that we often see in our pictures. We like these white lights that make us look like we have halos. I believe that God's light is more like the aurora borealis. It dances. It can't be contained. It whispers. It sings. And it is filled with color and light. Friends, this is the why of who you are. May we together understand that although we're not the source of the light, that we are called to indeed reflect that powerful light in all we do. Congratulations, First Philadelphia, and God bless you as you continue to celebrate your faithful witness of God's faithfulness in your lives. Amen.
may be seated. At this point in our service, it is our privilege to celebrate the sacrament of baptism. the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hear as well these words from the Apostle Paul. Do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. The promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. And so obeying the word of our Lord Jesus and confident of his promises, we baptize those whom God has called. In baptism, God claims us and seals us to show that we belong to God. God frees us from sin and death, uniting us with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. By water and the Holy Spirit, we are made members of the church, the body of Christ, and joined to Christ's ministry of love, peace, and justice. Therefore, let us remember with, our, with joy our own baptism, even as we celebrate this sacrament. On behalf of the session, I present Isla Helena Cedors, daughter of Amy Tate and Jonathan Cedors, to receive the sacrament of baptism. Happily standing with them today in commitment for the baptism and for Isla Isla, um, is Amy's sister, Shannon. Do you desire that Isla should be baptized? Relying on God's grace, do you promise to live the Christian faith and teach that faith to your child? Before the congregation, do you as members of the Church of Jesus Christ promise to guide and nurture Isla by word and deed, with love and prayer, encouraging her to know and follow Christ and to be faithful members of this church. If so, please respond by saying, I do. Through baptism, we enter the covenant God has established. Within this covenant, God gives us new life, guards us from evil, and nurtures us in love. In embracing that covenant, we choose whom we serve, by turning from evil and turning to Jesus Christ. And now we are all invited to rise in body or spirit to profess our faith in Jesus Christ, to confess the faith of the church, the faith in which we baptize. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven 
and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks, O Lord our God. Let us pray. We give thanks to you, eternal God, for you nourish and sustain all living things by the gift of water. In the beginning of time, your spirit moved over the watery chaos, calling forth order and life. In the time of Noah, you destroyed evil by the waters of the flood, giving righteousness a new beginning. You led Israel out of slavery through the waters of the sea into the freedom of the promised lands. In the waters of the Jordan, Jesus was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. By the baptism of his own death and resurrection, Christ sets us free from sin and death and opened the way to eternal life. We thank you, O oh God, for the water of baptism. In it, we are buried with Christ in his death. From it, we are raised to share in his resurrection, and through it, we are born by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you send your spirit to move over this water, that it may be a fountain of deliverance and rebirth. Wash away the sin of all who are cleansed by it. Raise Isla to new life and graft her into the body of Christ. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon her, that she may have power to do your will and continue forever in the risen life of Christ. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, be all praise, honor, glory, now and forever. Amen. What is the Christian name of your daughter? Isla Helena, child of the covenant. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. May God's blessing rest on you this day and every day hereafter. Amen. This is Isla Helena. And you have made to her an extraordinary promise. In a world that is frequently short on commitment, you have committed that your lives will reflect the light of Christ to her in such a way that she will come to know him. And so I admonish you, as always, to take this promise with the utmost of seriousness. And I invite you once more to affirm your intention by standing as we sing together the ironic blessing for Isla.
power of our community is one of the greatest gifts that God gives to us. Together, we learn what love looks like, how it feels, what makes it possible. We make mistakes together, and we try again. We support one another in joy and in grief, and we create belonging in a world that's so filled with isolation. Recognizing that in community, the needs of one are the needs of all, let us bring our offerings to God by sharing what we have. Our tithes and offerings will now be received.
creating God, may these offerings be a sign of our renewed commitment to living together as a community of faith. We pray in the name of your child, Jesus, our living stone. Amen. Please join with me in prayer. God of all creation, as we celebrate this day, Isla's baptism, we remember the startling truth that before we could ever possibly choose you, you chose us. You chose us to walk this earth as co-creators of your kingdom of justice, compassion, forgiveness, and peace. We thank you for the faithful witnesses who have come before us, who labored to spread your word and to build your communities of faith. We especially thank you for those who have called First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia and Second Presbyterian Church and Calvary Presbyterian Church their homes. We thank you for the small group of faithful who gathered some 325 years ago to call their first pastor and build their first church home. We here today are truly the actualization of our ancestors' wildest dreams, and we marvel at all that our community has endured. As we remember First Church's rich legacy, may we be inspired and empowered to bravely and boldly carry the mantle that has been passed to us this day. And God, we are not naive to the divisions and uncertainties of our past, of the times when the path forward was not clear. Just as we came before you back then, we come before you now seeking your guidance and your strength for the broken and hurting places of our world today. We especially pray for Gaza and Israel, for Ukraine, for Syria, for Colombia, and for the seemingly impossible political divides in our country. Help us to dream up a new reality. Help us to tear down the dividing walls of hostility between us. Help us to know that you hear the quiet utterances of our hearts, even now, as we pray the prayer your child taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
brothers, siblings, as you leave today, you will have the opportunity to take a mirror with you. I invite you to put it in your wallet as a reminder, a small reminder of your call to continue to be light in a world. And may you do so with the blessings of God, the creator above, looking upon you wherever it is you step. With the blessings of God, the redeemer, and the person of Jesus walking alongside you, keeping you company along life's path. And with the blessings of God, the sustainer, and the person of the Holy Spirit shining brightly as a light in your heart. May you go in peace.